Welcome to the EdTech Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Education has been stuck in a phase. Teachers have mastered the art of being the sage on the stage. It's not a bad format, we live for a good lecture. But as the world moves through this age of acceleration, with technology drastically shifting day to day, it's important to get students thinking critically and have them become part of the technology's growth, not become bystanders. In fact, the teachers are the ones who need to get out of the way. Here to give us some insight on the revolution of education and how Hawaii is becoming a cornerstone is Josh Rapoon, founder of MLTS in Hawaii. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, when I was researching your company, MLTS in Hawaii, that's the name of your Twitter handle. So it's not a particularly um, defined business name. So I think MLTS in Hawaii is more of a movement. Is that how you would categorize it? Yeah, I would. Um, actually, my day job is uh, at Apple. I'm a specialist at the Apple Alamoana store here in Honolulu. Um, and it's really awesome. I love the company. Um, it's a great platform for me to actually use my off time, uh, the time that I'm clocked out, to work on projects that are near and dear to me. So um, about two years ago, uh, I just happened to come across a documentary film called Most Likely to Succeed. Um, it was forwarded to me, a link was forwarded to me by some friends at a private school here that uh, runs a professional development program. And as soon as I saw the film, um, I knew that this was a, a game-changing moment for me. I knew that I had found something that would allow me to work on my passion, which is education, but do it from a neutral space, if you will. So um, the film uh, basically has two parts. Part one is about 20 minutes. It uh, makes an argument that the world is changing at hyperspeed, that we are, as Tom Friedman calls it, uh, well into the age of acceleration, and that uh, the job market as we know it is changing also at light speed, and that we need to do something about that. And education needs to address these changes. And then the second part of the film focuses on a particular school called High Tech High in San Diego, which is a public charter school. So I immediately started working with some partners to screen the film, do a community screening here in Honolulu. Um, and that went really well. And it uh, generated a super interesting panel discussion. And then I did a second screening in January of 2016. And while I was uh, working on that screening, which was much, much bigger, um, I was contacted by the filmmaker, uh, by the executive producer of the film, Ted Dintersmith. And he had uh, been in the, or he was in the middle of a 50 state tour. Um, he had decided after he debuted the film at the Sundance Film Festival to go on a tour of the United States, go to all 50 states and, and meet with everybody and talk with everybody from teachers to legislators and everything in between. Um, and his last stop, of course, was going to be the 50th state. And he contacted me and asked me to organize his itinerary in Hawaii, which I did. Um, he thought it was going to be a quick one day, see a couple things and go on vacation after a grueling year of traveling. Uh, but I took him on a six day, 7 a.m. to midnight uh, tour of some of the most best and brightest uh, 
education, innovation, imagination, creativity, uh, public, private, and charter um, learning spaces that I could find in the Hawaiian Islands on all six islands. Um, and so as a result of that, I formed a partnership with Ted. Um, he's been back to Hawaii six times. And out of that, to answer your original question, came my Twitter handle, which is at MLTS in Hawaii. Um, so I have two Twitter handles, Josh Rapoon and at MLTS in Hawaii. And so basically I've used this Twitter account to kind of drive forward a conversation about redesigning education in Hawaii and by definition education in the United States and even in the world. And um, that's that's how it is. It's not a company. It's kind of a movement and it's a really big network of people right now. And it's just awesome work. I absolutely love doing it. So what about MLTS really captured your attention as uh, you know something that needs to be addressed on a national level? Um, that's a great question. Um, there, there is a long history of education documentaries, as you know. There's Race to Nowhere and other films waiting for Superman. And I've always felt, by the way, I was 17 years as a teacher in, um, I, I taught social studies, history, economics, Hawaiian studies over 17 years here in Hawaii at independent schools and previous careers as a chef and as a hotel manager. Um, when I saw the film, what made it so different for me was the fact that it celebrated the work of teachers. And I think Race to Nowhere and Waiting for Superman actually were bummer films that made teachers look bad. There were lots of scenes of teachers sleeping at their desks and all that kind of thing. And it just, I, I hated those films and I hated the kind of message that those films was putting forward, which is that our teachers are less than professional, but even worse, that they're not creative, that they're not innovative, that they're not imaginative. So when you watch the last or the, the, the second two thirds, the two thirds of most likely to succeed, you see these extraordinary teachers at this school in San Diego, um, doing extraordinary things. But even more than that, you see that this, the kids that they're working with in their classes, are extraordinarily engaged. And that's what really grabbed me because as a teacher, I had always tried to do that. I had always tried to be out on that edge where the number one thing that I um, evaluated myself by as a teacher was student engagement. It wasn't about test scores. It wasn't about any of those kinds of details. It wasn't even really about whether they got into college or not. It was about how engaged were they in learning in my classrooms? And I think that I was able to achieve that to a considerable degree, but I felt a little bit like I was on the outside, away from the norm, which is, you know, kids lined up in rows and working their way towards a particularly singular pathway to college. Um, so that's, that's how the film really engaged me. And that's why I wanted to screen it in my communities here in Hawaii. I just think that it comes at the whole issue of education in a completely different way. It elevates the profession of teaching as one of the most creative and innovative and imaginative professions uh, that we have in this country. And I think that's so important, you know, changing that narrative. And even though there are some issues that need addressing um, within education, instead of necessarily focusing on, well, we have all these problems, it's, it should be focusing on, all right, well, how do we fix them? And really capitalizing on the fact that there are a lot of personally motivated educators out there. I know I personally had 
plenty of really important educators that personalized my education and made sure that my creativity shined um, because you know they they took it upon themselves to work in extra assignments and mm-hmm. make time for things that that fostered a creative mentality even though they still had to you know meet the requirements for standardized testing in the state um, so I feel like those other documentaries you mentioned, even though they are negative, I feel like they still hit on some important issues uh, or challenges within education. Um, you know, I, I feel like there is a, a difficulty breaking out of that status quo. Of you know, there are some professors and some teachers that get into the profession, and a lot of their creativity is. Um, slowly hacked away and they sort of get stuck with, okay, well, there's not much I can do. I'm going to be stuck in this routine because that's the way it is and that's the way it has to be. And so what do you think teachers and educators can be doing to actively change these issues, to really transform education from something that's very industrial, uh, very standardized, to personalized, to creative, to project-based, um, you know, to to really socially motivated and um, and emotionally driven as well. Uh, I think there's one answer to that question, which is get out of the way and get out of the way as fast as possible. And I really mean that. I, I and I do not mean step out of the classroom and and go get yourself a cup of coffee and just you know relax and see what happens. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm really really serious about the idea that you need to get out of the way of the kids' natural creativity. When kids come into school from the from kindergarten through the first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, their natural curiosity is completely apparent. They ask questions like crazy. And anybody who's had children knows that this is true. Um, and so over the course of time, our education system, which was really constructed and designed back in the late 1800s and has been in place for well over 100 years, really is is designed to kind of crush that out of kids. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Everybody has been working really, really hard over more than 100 years to help kids succeed. Um, but in fact, what has been happening is that teachers who dominate a classroom and who are, um, as we call them, sages on the stages. They are up front and they are the fonts of knowledge and delivering that knowledge into the open heads of the kids who then, you know, go through a testing process to prove that they know what they know. That when teachers get out of the way and serve as guides on the side, then all kinds of extraordinary things happen because these kids never really lose that creativity, that imagination, that innovation. They don't lose it. It gets kind of crushed out of them. It gets suppressed. And when it's suppressed, they move into a different mode. And that mode is, I need to jump through certain hoops and answer certain questions and get certain points ahead of other people because I'm following a prescribed pathway towards a particular goal, which is generally college or bust. And the result of that is, and the evidence is really starting to pile up around the country and even around the world, is that these these kids are not being hired anymore, or their or companies are beginning to question whether or not these are the kinds of kids that they want to hire. So when you open up the education process beyond elementary school, into middle school, into high school, and even beyond into college, and really 
move the teacher away from being the sage on the stage and help them to become coaches and guides and mentors and sponsors, then what you see is this explosion of natural creative problem solving on the part of kids. So my answer to your question is get out of the way. And actually, you need to go through professional training, serious professional training to learn what it means to get out of the way. That's not an easy thing to do. It's a, it's a complete mindset shift. And I know it because I've been through it myself. I got myself out of the way. I train myself and with other educators to figure out what that means to get out of the way. And then I watched as the results were entirely different than, than when I first started teaching. It was remarkable what kids started to do. And that sounds like a tough task to implement, um, especially in you know our nation that is very standardized with the way that it handles its education um you know i I feel like absolutely yeah there's there's got to be a a lot of roadblocks to jump over are are, where are you seeing some use cases for this have you seen any areas where teachers school districts uh, you know officials are buckling down and saying let's try this on a large scale and it's paying off Yes, absolutely. In fact, I'll just point to my home state of Hawaii, which, by the way, uh, you know, Ted Dindersmith, the executive producer, most likely to succeed. And by the way, he's the author of a new book called What School Could Be, which is already in its third printing after only two months and has been kind of a major bestseller in the education category and Amazon. Um, I, I would I would point to our state and to say, take a look at what we're doing here. So there's several things. I'll try to be really concise in the way that I describe this. Number one, we have managed to get ourselves into a conversation which is public, private, and charter. Unlike other school, uh, sorry, other states where people have their weapons out and they're just, they're pointing them at each other. Charter schools are screaming at public schools. Public schools are screaming at charter schools and independent schools are, you know, being bashed by everybody and, and so on and so forth. In Hawaii, we've got a really thoughtful, rational, interesting, deep conversation going amongst the three sectors. And they're all talking about the same thing, which is we're all educating the same kids. So how do we do that? And what are these choices that parents are making between public, private, and charter? And what are the roles of these different schools in the process of creating an atmosphere of lifelong learning for our kids? So that's that's one thing that's happening. And I, I hope the nation gets a chance to see that happening here in Hawaii. And we're working to make that happen. We're working to be able to create digital media and to open up national conversations about about that particular part. And then the other thing that's happening in Hawaii is that our governor, David Ige, um, uh, who's very passionate about education, um, took advantage of an opportunity to have an appointed board of education rather than a elected board of education. That was a constitutional change here in Hawaii a few years ago and has set up a board which wrote our ESSA commission or our ESSA plan. And then he also set up an ESSA commission, which was public, private and charter business nonprofit and spent an entire year talking to everyone in the state about what they wanted in terms of education in Hawaii and some of the things that we need to do to address the 21st century and the changing job market. And as a result of that, we ended up with something very special called the Public Blueprint for Education. I think it's a one-of-a-kind document in the United States. And it's a, it's a visionary 
document that expresses our aspirations, our hopes and dreams for our kids. It is not a compliance document. It's not a negative document. It isn't a nation at risk type document. Um, and so as a result of that, we've got a new superintendent who's probably the best superintendent, absolutely far and away the best superintendent that I've seen in my lifetime of paying attention to education. And what we're doing is we're going through what's called an empowerment process. So we're moving authority out to our complexes the and our schools. So Hawaii is the only unified school district in the United States. In other words, the state is one um, DOE, one Department of Education, but we have 15 complex areas, and each of those complex areas has a superintendent, and each of those superintendents has X number of schools in their complex area. And literally, as we speak right now, authority is being moved out in the direction of the complexes and to the schools, and it's being phrased in the language of empowerment and um, people are uh, principals and school leaders and teacher leaders are being asked to consider what their communities, which are often very particular in terms of place and culture in the Hawaiian Islands, um, what they want for their school communities. How do they want to redesign or design their school communities? And charter schools and independent schools are joining in that conversation. And all of a sudden, wow, you know, there we go. So I would look to places around the country um, where this is happening, where authority is actually being uh, pushed out to the individual schools or to districts of schools. Another state where this is happening on a really remarkable scale is North Dakota. Um, they have a visionary uh, superintendent and they have a really wonderful governor and a great legislature. And they're all working together to make North Dakota one of the sort of epicenters of education innovations. I think that's that's what it's going to take for that to happen. And um, if you look at these individual schools around the country that are that are really embracing this idea, you're seeing a remarkable number of kids coming out who can do uh, complex problem solving and are going to be tackling some of the really critical issues of the day, most especially around technology and artificial intelligence and other issues like that. So really before approaching the teachers and trying to restructure the way teachers teach, the conversation should be focused more around moving the power towards the communities, towards the schools and the school districts because that's really where the fundamental issues lie is that is that there's sort of a, a, a lack of representation for what a community is really searching for in its education. Yes. So let me give you a really specific example. Let's say that I'm Josh and I'm a teacher and I teach history and I'm really wanting to do some project-based work in my classroom around history, meaning I don't want to lecture in front of my kids every day. I actually want them to dive into the archives and just call them, quote unquote, the archives, right? So I'm going to set up some kind of scenario where an archive becomes available to the kids and there's an essential question on the table. It might be, let's say, the archive of a noted community figure who's passed on. And the central question in that, in, in that scenario is, who was this person? And so the students are going to dive into that, and they're actually going to become historians. It's called doing history. It's what historians actually do. So I, what I need in that situation is I need a school leader who's going to back me up on this. That's what I need. Uh, 
And so the school leader really has to go through that kind of training in order to make this all work. That training is specific around empowerment and it's around risk. And it's around saying to Josh, the history teacher in the classroom, you know what? This sounds really interesting. Go for it. Let's see what happens. Let's see how the kids report out on the learning that they're doing. Let's survey them. Let's figure out maybe some different ways of accounting for their learning. Let's go ahead and test them and let's see what happens with the test results. But more than anything, go for it, try it, and let's see. That's what I need as a teacher. So just take whatever subject you want, whether it's, whether it's robotics or whether it's history or any subject, what you need is a leader who's got your back somebody who's willing to, to take that risk with you and defend you as you go through that. And I, I think that's really what we're looking for. So yes, you're right. I think that leadership has to go through its training, its empowerment training. And as that happens, then teachers are going to, are going to feel like the era of whack-a-mole is over. And if they stick their heads up, they're not going to get pounded back down. And then they're going to start to get really creative and their students are going to start to get creative. It's, it's what's happening in Hawaii. And it's why I think Hawaii could potentially be a model to the rest of the country for how you go through doing that. It is a dual process for sure. It involves leadership and it involves teacher professional development. And if I can just say one quick thing. So we're two years into it in Hawaii, which is, super interesting because it's we're, we're noticing some different things. So here's what I'm noticing here at the beginning of the summer of 2018. We're experiencing an avalanche of demand from educators, teachers, public, private, and charter for training in project-based learning. An avalanche. There's, a, there's one particular academy here, Kupuho Academy, which is affiliated with Mid-Pacific Institute, a private school. These guys, the, the trainers for Kupuho Academy, they're up to their eyeballs right now because the demand is so high. They've, they're about to do a training uh, in a couple of weeks that has over 100 teachers signed up, and it took only a week to get them all signed up. They're actually in China right now. Um, doing a four-day training in project-based learning. So this tells me that when you, when you free things up, when you open things up, and when you empower people to step away from the traditional roles that they've played, sage on the stage, for example, for a very long time, then all of a sudden something very different happens. But leadership has to be there to support and to guide and to coach and to mentor and to sponsor just like we want teachers to be able to do that for kids. It's a, it's a very much an ecosystem, and it's what we're experiencing is a shift in the ecosystem. That's really interesting. It's, it's funny to see the power dynamics shift around because you know, the sage on the stage idea is that the, you know, the teacher has all the power up front and is, is giving the information, but in essence, it's almost like they don't really have much power as well because, because really – you know, how much power are they having individually on transferring that knowledge to the student? Uh, you know, like like you've said, once they step away and actually relinquish some of that power and become the guide on the side, then you actually see more benefits for the student. They retain the knowledge better. They They change, you know, what education means. I've been seeing this a lot that Work is going to become education and education is going to become work. They're going to blend because you learn by doing and you almost won't be able to tell the difference anymore. And 
I, I think that's really exciting and really interesting, especially like you said earlier in a world where technology is changing rapidly. I know you linked me to a video and it's called The Future of Work and it just shows these automated machines doing – jobs that humans have been doing forever. I mean, farming, uh, organizing, medicinal, food, I mean, just about everything. And for some, it might seem like, oh my goodness, dystopia, we're all going to be out of a job and the robots are going to take over. But that's not really the truth. That is going to free up so much time for people to innovate in creative ways. But I think it's important to get in there and teach students how to deal with that world, a world where, you know, you don't have to be taught the menial task because that isn't your job anymore. Your job is to innovate, to create, to be more of an independent thinker. Um, and that, yeah, it's, it's a heavy task to undertake, but it's really cool to see that Hawaii is becoming one of the staples for it. I have a, I have a really quick story to tell you. So I'm driving home from work um, from my job at Apple and I'm listening to a podcast and it's, it's hidden brain, which is really a amazing podcast series. And this particular episode was about clickers, um, and about how, um, when you use clickers to train people to do things, you remove yourself as the person saying, good job, great job, or, oh, you didn't do that so well. You take your voice out of it and you simply um, work with the clicker to figure out exactly what particular movement you want. So often it's used with athletes and now it's starting to be used with um, other sectors of the economy. So this particular part of the podcast, there was this guy who, who teaches um, young doctors how to do orthopedic surgery, which uh, involves very intricate movements of the hand and the eye and the fingers, especially with sewing certain parts together. And he was talking about using the clicker as a way to get them to do those movements exactly every single time. And so obviously the clicker sort of marks that moment when you do it exactly correct. And as I'm driving along, I literally felt goosebumps along the back of my neck and my arms because I was thinking to myself, wow, dudes, that job is probably gone already. There are going to be robots that can do that kind of surgery. In fact, it's already the case. It's already happening already. Um, and so, wow. Okay. <laughs> Here you are working out on, you know, a, a way to make sure that people can do those movements, but it's not going to be people who are going to be doing those movements. So I think as a society, we have a moment here that's very special. We have to take a pause and we have to go, are we going to react out of fear? Are we going to be fearful of what you see in that video that you watched? Or are we going to get our kids involved in leveraging these technologies to make the world a better place. In other words, to get them involved in the creation of the technologies, the ethics of the technologies, and the implementation of these technologies, including AI. This is the priceless moment that I see right in front of us here. And if we are going to do that, we're going to have to move away from Sage on the stage, by and large. I still love a good lecture. You know, please believe me, I, I love good lectures and I've delivered good lectures, but this is a moment where we need to really get kids involved in a, in a hands-on basis and where chemistry um, and biology and history and philosophy and ethics all come together to work on these problems. I would cite as one of the shining examples in higher education right now, Olin College of Engineering, which it, there's a great book called A Whole New Engineer, uh, which is a play on Daniel Pink's uh, book, A Whole New Mind. 
Um, and it's a fantastic story of a college that was built from the ground up by students and their professors together. And that college is cited by everybody as the prime example of where students are working in a, on a hands-on basis to go after some of the really complex problems of our day. And AI is going to be one of the most complex of the complex problems that we have to deal with. So let's not react out of fear. Let's dive in. Let's get our kids involved. And let's see where this all takes us. Right. I, I think the fear comes from the idea that nothing can change. Uh, it, it, it's that idea that, okay, the way we've been teaching kids is the best way to do it. And there's nothing we can do better. And since everything around us is changing, then, you know, the world is going to crumble and everything is going to die, right? You know, right, doom right. and gloom. But, but it's that idea that you have to look at the problem and look at the positives around it. Well, it's like, wow, this opens so many venues for students to get involved, like you said, in leveraging these emerging technologies and being parts, being part of the innovative force because this technology isn't at its peak yet. It's it, A lot of it is just breaching the surface and there's there's so much to explore still with ai with vr with um you know with deep learning with ar it's it's pretty incredible so yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sort of giving us this this look at how we should be focusing on education how we should be changing it up and you know how we shouldn't really be scared of taking that risk and that leaders need to step in to encourage the risk-taking. Absolutely. I think it's such an amazing time. It's the most amazing time to be a teacher in America that I can ever recall. Um, and I, I just hope that young people decide to go into the teaching profession because this is the moment where we can actually take that moonshot, where we can actually go to the moon. We can go to Mars in that metaphorical sense. As educators, wow, it just it's such an exciting moment. So thanks. I really appreciate being able to talk to you today. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and videos from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. 